I did have an accident with a menorah once. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, a fan. Wet mall. Taking your calls at 270-1270. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? Uh-oh. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I am Tim Graham from The Athletic. Here with Mike Rodak of ESPN.com back in studio after a week off. Had to recharge the, uh, the engine. It's a big week. Announcing that he's done as of what? What's the la- what you're going to be the last date that you write for ESPN.com? Uh, I mean, I might have stuff that runs before training camp, but I'm physically leaving Buffalo July 2nd. Mm. We'll miss you. There'll be all kinds of farewell festivities, Mm -hmm. to be sure. Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein & Bronstein, the sports writing injury attorneys, (laughs) he's here as well. Handling things for Periscope, you can see a live stream of this and all other Tim Graham shows in perpetuity on Periscope. We tweet out that link if you want to check it out. Bobby Rosati, diddle in the knobs, as he's wont to do. We're joined right off the top. We're not going to delay. By Buffalo Bills general manager Brandon Bean. Brandon, thanks for calling in. How we doing, Tim? We're doing. Hey, we're doing good. Are you on a speakerphone? I am. You may pick it up if you could. I'll pick it up for you. I go to the Howard Stern School of Broadcasting. He's uh, <laughs> he doesn't like the uh, the speakerphones. So okay. uh, the premise of this interview today, I, I went to uh, Derek Boyko, the Bills. Uh, Who's me- Derek again? He is. Um, he's he's the guy who handles media for you. Oh, that guy. Yeah, he's the um, Coach Boyko. I forget his first name. <laughs> Coach Boyko. Perhaps yeah. it's perhaps it's premature to call him Coach Boyko, Brandon. He's my coach. Okay, so that's why I call him Coach Boyko. Very good. Well, maybe everybody he- needs everybody needs a coach. Is this an, so? This is not an official role. It's just your. Um, that's what you call. It's it. my role. That's what I call. That's how I see. Okay, it. Coach well, that's all that matters. Yeah. And I went to Derek and I said, uh, hey, "Would Brandon Bean want to come on uh, the show tomorrow?" And he said, uh, "And I, I'm, uh, I can kind of sense Derek a little bit through text. Uh, I've gotten to know him well enough, I think. And I think he shrugged through text somehow. I was like, "Well, what is there to talk to him about, really? That hasn't been asked. You're so accessible." <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, you know, that's a good question. So. I came up with an idea, and I said, we will not ask you any Bills questions today. We're just going to have fun. We're going to have we're discussions like you would sitting at the bar, those weird barroom dis- um, questions about, uh, about life, existential right. stuff. Now, the All Bills right. may obviously come up. It's not like the Bills are verboten here. Yeah, but uh, from what I understand, you, uh, you like the idea, and, and clearly you're, you're here joining us on the show, so... Yeah, I'm good with it. So this, this is a general idea of what I'm getting at here, and questions may come from everybody here on the panel. I don't know as as we get through it, but who all is on the panel other, other than you and Mike? Mike Rodak and Jonah Bronstein. Uh, okay. Jonah Bronstein, who writes for the Buffalo News, he helps out John Morrow at the Associated Press. Uh, he's all over the place. He's uh, okay. he's his own one man journalism crew. I'd just like to know who I'm talking to at the bar. So That's I right. I want to make sure I know who all was involved here. We're all here. We're all. Uh, are you a bar guy, or do you like to sit at the table? Uh, I'm either or. It depends on uh, uh, how many people we got. If we got a bunch of people, I'd rather sit at a table because it gets stretched down and you can't hear the conversation. But if it's two, three, I'll sit at the bar. 
I don't like the table at all, and I don't know why. I feel like I'm too detached from the. First off, I like sliding the beer about four inches away from me and having the bartender fill it up without yeah. having somebody to come seconds. back and forth. No, it's good, especially if you're on the road somewhere by yourself. The bar is perfect because you get the menu, you get the drink, you got everything right there. Well, let's go. TV or something. Well, this is a question uh, that came up. I'm going to go out of order then. I was going to ask you a, something else, but since we're on the topic of beer, rank these beers for me, if you would, Brandon. Okay. Porch beer, golf course beer, watching a game beer, or bar beer? Um, good question. Porch beer, go. golf beer, game beer, bar beer. I'm going to say bar beer. Yeah, me too. I think so. Is there anything better when it comes uh, to having a beer than day drinking? Isn't no, it's some... pretty good. Isn't as there... long as you've got no responsibility, uh, it's great. <laughs> right. There's something about it. My brother and I have had this discussion is that when you can have a few beers and the sun is still out, because I think there's some sort of uh, spiritual aspect of it in terms of the night is still, we still have the entire night ahead of us. Who knows what could happen and here we are with not a care in the world, as opposed to going out to watch a game like we will tonight, Game 7 of the NHL uh, Stanley Cup Final, getting started at 9. Mm. It's already dark out. There's something oh, about... Not even here. Might the, be light out here. Well, it's still, it'll be a little light out. Yeah. No, I get you. I, I get your point. No, I, uh, uh, I like it as well. I'm, I'm a fan. All right, we don't want to dwell too much on it. We don't want to make you out to be the well, Plus, the there's something about town. Buffalo that, like... When it's nice outside and it's like a nice day where it's 75 and sunny, you almost feel like you have to take advantage of it because it's so rare. That's yeah. a fact. You, you got to enjoy it for 100%. I, right now, we're, we're, I'm still trying to catch up on my golf. We're, my days have been uh, dwindled down uh, to when I can actually get out and hit them, and it looks like rain this weekend, so I'm like, you got to be kidding me. The next week, I think. Is it that far? I, yeah. I made it through Sunday, and I was like, you know, a little bit down about it. Do you ever it, fly down to Carolina to golf at all? Um, not just to do that, but uh, I'm going to be down there this summer, so I'll, yeah. I'll play a lot down there uh, then. But other than that, no. You can be in attendance to watch any non-NFL team win a championship. Who is it? Um, oh, God. Atlanta Braves. Nah, that's what we thought. How does your fandom with Atlanta connect? Where, where does it go um, back to? It goes back to uh, Bob Horner, Dale Murphy, um, all those guys from the early '80s. I, you know, TBS. I literally watched every single game, and they were terrible. They were terrible. I know my dad kept saying, "Why do you sit down there and watch them? They're awful. They were last place." Um, shoot, Joe Torre was the first manager I remember that they had, and he got fired and. Um, I can't even remember the next manager off the top of my head, but obviously it got really good when uh, Bobby Cox, John Sherholz got there. Think of all the hours you wasted watching Bob walk. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, believe me, uh, we had Steve Bedrosian, um, Bedrock, uh, Rick Mailer. Uh, I don't even know if you remember that guy. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I mean, this superstation WTBS was on, uh, you know, when we got cable. Cable was a new thing in my household. We lived in a, in a rural area that didn't get cable for a while. I think it was 1984, maybe, 1983, 1984, we finally got cable. And then there's this baseball on every day. And so yep. we also had WGN. So my dad gravitated more to the Cubs 
And uh, yeah, watching these Braves games, it was it was amazing. Yep. Mike Long, Bob, Bob Horner was third base. Rafael Ramirez, shortstop. Glenn Hubbard, second base. Uh, Bruce ben- Bruce Benedict was the catcher. Uh, Albert Hall in center field. I don't remember our first baseman right now, uh, but those are the guys. Man, it was fun, uh, even though they they were terrible. Del Murphy uh, center and then the right field. All right, now I know you're biased on this, but try to be as objective as you can. Does Dale Murphy belong in the Hall of Fame? Definitely, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. I'm I'm annoyed that he's not in the Hall of Fame. Back-to-back MVP, which is pretty rare. I actually had the chance, and this is a pretty cool trivia question. Um, he had a son that was drafted by the Miami Dolphins. He was a guard yep. in yep. 2008, I believe. I remember the story. Yep. And he was in uh, – I told you the story before? No, I remember his son playing oh, okay. football. Yeah. I'd have to finish it anyway because I got started and we're on the radio. So uh, there's the trivia question of back-to-back MVPs. There was at one point 10 of them, and I think there are more now. Uh, but there were 10, and they played all 10 positions, including DH, and they, didn't just, they weren't just three outfielders. They played left field, center field, right field. And so I had a chance. Dale Murphy was at Dolphins practice one day, standing over with the media, and everybody was kind of leaving him alone, but I couldn't. And so we went through it, and uh, it was fun to actually go through that trivia question with Dale Murphy himself. So, that's pretty um, good. You know, he was a catcher first. I mean, yes, he was. He had a gun. Uh, that's what. How many guys played catcher at the major league level and then went and played the outfield? Mm, not many. I'm thinking of uh, you know, vice versa was what uh, Gary Carter I think started out as an outfielder yeah. and then turned into a catcher. Came down a catcher, Blake Swihart, yeah. but that's not even a real catcher. He should be in the Hall of Fame, hands down. When was the last time you asked for an autograph? Oh God, uh, the last time I asked for an autograph that would have been. It would have been an ACC game, NC State and Georgia Tech uh, in in Raleigh. Um, that's been like eighty six, eighty seven, somewhere in there. Who was it? Do you remember? Yeah, like Charles Shackelford uh, was on that squad. Vinny Del Negro. Um, I don't remember who all I got, but I stood in line, got a few on this flimsy NC State hat. I really wasn't prepared for it, but uh, we got a couple. So uh, I don't remember who else was on that team. So you they ended up upsetting North Carolina. If it was 87, they upset Carolina in the ACC championship. But I can't remember. It was either 86 or 87. You're the type of guy who allows yourself to have been a fan. I think there are a lot of people get in uh, into high levels of sports, whether it be as an athlete or somebody in a front office, a coaching staff. And it's like, nah, that stuff never mattered to me. I don't know if it's too cool or an aloofness, but uh, I, I think it's cool that you were such a fan as a kid. And, um, you know, I heard the story, shirts off, watching the Panthers game, right? It was in, <laughs> your dad tell me yeah. that story? Yeah. it's uh, uh, No, it was fun. It's actually um, the, the last time I really got to go to a college game and enjoy it was uh, a few years ago, NC State – we were playing. They were playing in Greensboro, and I got tickets. And I took my son, who's a big NC State fan, and we drove up there. And I'd gotten some seats about right behind the basket. And Syracuse was very good, and NC State upset Syracuse. And it was when Bayheim was bitching about the uh, uh, um, the the ACC tournament being in in Greensboro of all places. You know, he's used to it being in Madison Square Garden and all that. But there was. 
there was a lot of people, uh, a lot of Syracuse fans. I was impressed uh, that they traveled down there. But NC State pulled off the upset. Um, the kid that TJ TJ Warren uh, that got drafted kind of pulled NC State through that game. We're in conversation with Bills General Manager Brandon Bean on the premise that we don't talk about the Bills. And it's not as though Brandon said, I don't want to talk about the Bills. Or, Tim, you, I, I, I will refuse to answer any Bills question, uh, and that's the only reason I will come on your radio show. We just decided to do this. So we're having fun here. So what's your, what's your most prized piece of memorabilia? Oh, I don't have a lot of memorabilia. Um, I do have a football that reggie white signed um we signed him his last year that's probably the one that i go man um who knew life would be so short for him you know after that so i still do have that that's probably um from an autographed item probably the best thing i have um i mean the things i probably care most about are uh the two NFC championship rings. I wish they were Super Bowl rings, but uh, they were still nice and good reflections of, you know, a fun year until until the very last game. Do you wear them? No, I'm not a I'm not a jewelry guy. So uh, just show pieces. I got I have them at the house if, uh, in an area that I have a few few items, but uh, more just some people, friends or whoever that aren't sports. A lot of times enjoy putting them on, checking them out, asking questions, shocked at how big how big they are and how heavy they are. So you, I know that you say you don't want, you know, they're not, maybe, you, maybe you'd wear your Super Bowl ring out to a special occasion or something like that. So this is a question that it requires, this is a long wind-up to this question because there's some rules involved that you must uh, abide by before you answer the question. <laughs> You're going to be a general manager for 25 years. You cannot be dismissed and you cannot retire, and you can have one of these careers, 25 straight playoff seasons without a championship, or you win the Super Bowl in your first year, and you never go back to the playoffs for 24 straight years. Which do you pick? Oh, my God. Uh, I think I'd take the 25 years, as painful as that would be not to win it. Uh, At least I would feel like every year I had a shot that year and – and the following year that, hey, we just missed it. We'll add some pieces here. We'll get back there because I don't have a glimpse. I don't have the crystal ball to say I'm never going to win it. Right. Um, okay, so you're putting yourself in the moment with each of those 25 it, seasons, right? Okay, so that's a nuance. What if it's a genie out of a bottle and those are your two choices and you know that you're never going to win the championship, but you get to go to the playoffs for 25 straight years? <laughs> I hate your question. No, I know it. <laughs> Uh, man, I want to win one like no other. Uh, you know, that's, that's hard. I'd probably still say the other because I'd feel like I, you know, that I was a part of building a consistent team and we just, you know, we could never find it, but, uh, teams knew every year, if you're making the playoffs that many years in a row, you're, you're doing something right and you just unfortunately because it's hard to get there you do have to have some breaks and things like that and i just wouldn't want to live 24 straight years and not making the playoffs what i also think would be interesting is if you did know this genie says you're going to go to the playoffs for 25 straight years and never win it you could just for fun in year 22 
field a practice squad team and find out how these guys are going to f- manage to get into the playoffs. You'll 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 have a bronze bust in Canton because people yeah, will say how did that. there's a guy he just picked up this truck driver. Uh, it's it's a, one of the NFL's great stories. The Buffalo Bills just signed a UPS driver. A guy was happened to be delivering a package to Brandon Bean. He says, "Come out, play quarterback for me." And now here they are in the playoffs again. The guy can't lose, no matter what. It'd be a pretty good story. <laughs> I like I like where your head's at. It'd be an odd one, but uh, it'd be it'd be fun to do. But life for you these days is about winning and losing. I mean, it's about making the playoffs, winning a Super Bowl. It might not have been that way if you know you never really got into this business. I know you turned down the job for uh, Sports Business Journal back when you were coming yeah. out of school, and you know you, I think it seems possible that you might have gotten into journalism. And if you did, where do you think you would be twenty something years later in that field? Man, uh, I probably would have got run out of town because I, <laughs> you know, I just uh, I knew I would like it. I just didn't know if I would really love it. And I truly believe if you don't love something, you're not going to stick with it. So I always said as a fallback, I would, uh, I'd get into coaching high school or something and, um, or, you know, maybe also coaching the golf team or something like that, which, which would be fun. But I'd do something in sports. That's just, I'm wired that way. I would, I don't think I could have stuck it out and, you know, this desk job writing all the time. Do you think that when you see it from your side, and we got into this a little bit the last time you were on regarding the state of sports journalism today, do you think you could have been a, a part of that, or how, how would you, how would you have uh, gotten around in that arena, for lack of a better phrase? You know, I think you know you still are competitive. You want to you want to do good things in whatever you're doing. So if if I had stuck it out, I would I think I would have tried to, um, you know, continue to grow to whether it was. You know, a, a big site on the internet nowadays because the internet was just getting going back then, and uh, you know, or a big TV station or something like that, or you know, uh, one of those type jobs. I think I would have tried to pursue. Um, you know, obviously, I'd have to have shown that I had the ability to do it, but I think that would I would have used my competitive juices in in that you know that form. In conversation with Bills general manager Brandon Bean, talking about anything that's not the Bills and uh, type of conversations you'll hear at any bar. It just happens to be with the Bills general manager right now. So you can pick any position in any sport to play dominantly. And I stress dominantly because I think that might affect, it would affect my answer. Uh, Where do you play? Quarterback. Yeah, see, I... And I don't. I, I was watching a ball game when I came up with this question. I don't think I'd want to be an average catcher, but I think being a dominant catcher is pretty cool. Like just a gun guys down, you know, picking them off, leading off too much on off of first. They're not able to steal off of you. Uh, and then a good hitting catcher too is is kind of rare these days. Or I guess a, a, a catcher that, a catcher that can field and hit is is pretty rare. Well, yeah, quarterback. I mean, that's the coolest position for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, you know, that's the, in my mind, uh, the toughest position in any sport to play on a team. And so you, you, those are the guys that you look back on history that shaped the game. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys that we talk about, we don't talk about the, the linemen as much and, and things like that. We talk about the QBs. Uh, so just 
because we all know this game. It's a quarterback. It's a quarterback league, and I don't know. I'm just always closest to football. It's always been the sport I've had the most passion for, so that's why I still stick with QB. So, as a general manager who oversees millions of dollars worth of athletes, many of them hurt at various points during the course of a season. What are your thoughts on Kevin Durant playing in Game Five? Um, you know, you have to. Uh, trust that they're medical people i mean they held him out for 32 days or 30 minutes i think that's what it was um you know it's unfortunate i hate that it happened but you know i think it shows this guy's a competitor and he wanted to be out there with his teammates he's going to be a free agent and um i think it says a lot about his character that he went out there and left it on the line trying to win a championship which is the reason he's there it's the ultimate goal so uh it's unfortunate you hate it um uh, i thought it was a cool the coolest moment of that was watching steph curry and um whoever who was the other person iguodala uh, walking him into the locker room uh you don't see that and i thought that showed that uh what kind of bond that team has and uh it was pretty resilient you know i got no dog in the fight but uh that was a resilient win for them because I thought they were done when Durant. I mean, when Durant came in and started, I mean, it didn't look like he had missed a day, much less 32 days. And and then so I'm like, he, they're going to win. I mean, I'm watching my son. I'm like, they're going to win this game. This is going to back to us. I basically, we basically both said this is going to Game Seven. They'll win at Golden State with Durant, and then they'll come back and be a one-game series. And then he goes down like that, and you're figuring, man, there's no way they're going to be able to hold on now. Just the you know losing, you know losing that guy. We just, but they they pulled it off, so it'll be interesting to see tomorrow night what happens back home in Golden State if they can somehow get it back to Toronto. Is that reminiscent of anything that you've experienced? And I don't mean the re-injury part with Kevin Durant, but when a player really wanted to go and, you know, for what you just had to shut him down or you're holding your breath and saying, all right, man, we're going to leave it up to you. Um, anything come close to that? I can't think of anything right now. I probably will later um, of a situation. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you want all parties. You want the player, the medical team, um, you know, and myself and the coaches to all feel that we've done the right thing and he's ready to go back on the field or, in that case, on the court. And and I'm sure they went through all that. I mean, you things happen and you can't – you can second guess all you want. Um, the shameful part of it was, you know, it looked like he had, was getting a lot of grief locally out there for, you know, is he just protecting himself for free agency and all that? And, you know, I don't think that was obviously the case. I think they were truly trying to make sure he was healthy. And, I, I mean, they had won until that series without him. So I think if they could have, as long as they could have kept it out of dire straits, they probably would have tried to keep keep him you know off the court but I'm sure he really wanted to get back out there and be with his teammates and unfortunately uh the injury happened. Are you able to put yourself or could you if I ask you the question here um of the the New York Knicks general manager knowing that you were clearing space for Durant to be on your team next year or a couple other teams out there that were considered to be in the sweepstakes and to right. now have that injury and to see your plans or hopes torpedoed yeah i mean uh that would be that would be tough um but listen he's a you know he's a unique athlete um 
and depending on the severity of it, I think you you know you can still get on it. You can still talk to doctors, whoever's going if he's going to need surgery or something like that. What it's what it's going to look like, and you go back and look at history and. You know, I'm sure like ACLs next year won't necessarily be um, in play for him a lot. Maybe he comes back late. I don't know. Um, but um, I think looking at it down the road, I think there have been guys that have been able to still come back and play. And what I've found is the guys that are the top, top athletes uh, in our business, so I assume it's that business, will or they're able to overcome the injury. It doesn't. It doesn't hamper him as bad um, as it would a middle of the road type player. A couple more for you, Brandon. If you're still game, if you haven't gotten bored with this, yeah, I'm good. Okay, I'm good. Sticking with basketball, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Michael Jordan, no doubt about it. No, all right. What? what uh, do you have a, a reasoning behind that? Well, um, I mean, I'm I not. I'm thought... not here to say. Well, how can you pick yeah. like that pick? I just want to know what you you came to it so definitively. I I just thought a from North Carolina. I'm from North Carolina. Uh, so that, that that's the first start. Even though I was not a Tar Heel fan, um, he's also from Wellington, where I went to school. So uh, a lot of you know stuff there. But no, I think at the end of the day, I just felt, uh, and I never rooted for Jordan. I actually rooted for Dominique. Uh, I was an Atlanta Hawks fan until the Hornets uh, kind of got got going and got good. But I was never really a Jordan fan. Um, nor LeBron, I was kind of neutral, and but just watching Jordan, I just I, I just think he's he's the best all around player, and he's the guy that I saw get the most out of his teammates uh, of any of these guys, you know, Kobe, LeBron, all of them. I just nobody played defense to me like Jordan either, and LeBron LeBron did. LeBron's more physically gifted. I just thought Jordan was the best player. Are you, uh, or I guess I should ask it this way, how interested are you in pro wrestling? You come from the Carolinas. It's a big foothold in the, in the well, the what is it, genre? Sport. sport. Yeah. I almost call it's it hard. a sport. It is, a, I guess, it, depending on what your it's feelings are. People, it, yeah, the business. Uh, it is a sport. Uh, it's, it's a, it requires athletes, anyway, yeah. uh, predetermined outcomes. But wh- how interested are you in pro wrestling? Um, I'm not really. I mean, when I was a kid, I liked uh, Ric Flair. Uh, who who didn't? Um, but uh, I went to I went to one of those Starcades. It was called. It was Starcade '86. It was in Greensboro. Um, but uh, after that, I once I realized I, it when I went, I still thought it was real. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, no, nah, I was a big Ric Flair and Four Horsemen fan back in the day, but uh, I think once I got to middle school, I kind of got out of that phase and never, never followed it anymore. Starcade. Now, who was who was at the? Who else was performing on that show? Do you remember? So, you, yeah, you had, um, uh, well, the Four Horsemen were there. You had the Rock and Roll Express. Um, I'm trying to think who else you had. Obviously, Ric Flair was there. Um, the Russians, I can't, I cannot remember their names. Like Nikita Koloff and something like that. I don't remember what their names were. Um, that's all I remember. Do, was was Lex Luger in the Four Horsemen he, at the time? He he was. I forgot about him until you just said that. It was Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, Ole Anderson, and Lex Luger. Lex Luger is an Orchard Park High graduate. Did you know that? I did not. 
He uh, wrestled out of, I believe, Chicago. He was billed when he was doing his ring entrance because, you know, what's so sexy about Orchard Park, New York. But he still lives in the area. He's been on my show. Uh, he lives in uh, Williamsville now. And, really? Uh, yeah. He's a huge, huge Bills fan. Loves his Bills. That's, that's awesome. No, I, uh, um, I did love Lex Luger. He was, he was ripped, man. He, well, a lot of people hated Lex Luger because he yeah. was, well, that was the whole the thing, the narcissist, right? Yeah, yeah. What would you like to ask us, Brandon? Um, what would I like to ask y'all? Mike, when's your last day? Well, I guess tomorrow would be the last day where I'm there. I'll see You're you there. later on in the week, though. I think we have uh, the other little shindig going on. But um, You playing in the golf tournament? I, uh, Monday, that's right. Forgot about that. I don't right. think I'll be so in your your foursome. I think I got Dave's. So Dave's oh, just telling Dave me, off? yeah, he's telling me he's a scratch golfer today. Uh, <laughs> he's he's very close to scratch. Yeah, he's, he's not quite there. About thirty six yeah. strokes off, but I can't say <laughs> much better. Actually, I played with him last year for nine holes. Um, he doesn't play, but he's got a pretty good swing. I think he played at one point. Okay. Um, yeah, he's my sticks. He'll he'll be all right. He's an he, you know he's got decent hand eye. So. Um, He'll be, he'll be better uh, than the physique would uh, uh, lend to make you believe. Well, I'm with Finelli, so we'll, we'll see what that goes. The, you guys got the uh, the O line squad. <laughs> yeah, they're going to win the heaviest duo uh, award. I'm yeah. ma- I'm manning down my same. Uh, I have the same uh, pair that I did last year, Brandon. You're the uh, thirst quencher. Yes, I'm the beer cart guy. Yeah, I was trying to keep it politically correct I don't on, day your, on your politically correct show. Yes, well, that's what we do here. Brandon, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Uh, it's This was fun, and uh, I think, you know what? It, it, we didn't talk bills, but this is the type no, of interview didn't. where we learn a, a little bit about how you think. You know, you talked about injuries. We talked about just the fandom, how your approach. I think, you know, you're a regular guy. I, I don't think that, uh, you know, you look back on other people that, have done this job before and they, they just don't, they're not like real people. Brandon yeah. Bean's I try a regular to, fella. I try to be pretty normal because, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't know any other way. So I, uh, it wouldn't be natural. And I'm not one that's going to try and do something that's not natural. I couldn't picture Tom Donahoe coming on and, uh, having a conversation like this. <laughs> Talking about I got you. Luger. Right. <laughs> Talk right. about how swole Lex Luger was. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I'll have to say, uh, when Derek gave me this idea, uh, he mentioned maybe we talk about some different sports and stuff, but I never thought we were going to get to pro wrestling and Lex Luger, so I appreciate you, you getting the conversation. That there. question was courtesy of Jonah Bronstein. He, I guess he was uh, he didn't know how you were going to respond, so he told me to ask it. But. I, I love it. He was at the end of the bar, and he uh, he piped in late, so I'm, <laughs> glad, right. he, I'm glad he joined. Carolina he does that in real life, too. Hey, hey, talking to the guy across the way. Hey, man, you could play one position dominantly. What would it be? Brandon B., That's thanks awesome. so much. Thanks, man. You got it. Enjoy it, guys. All right, Appreciate enjoy it. your offseason. Yes, sir. And this is the Bills offseason really coming up. It's been the offseason for the fans because the draft and the combine and all this stuff happens. But now the last day of minicamp being tomorrow, right? Yeah. Uh, then these guys are cut loose uh, until the start of training camp. So yeah. uh, when we come back, we're going to hear from old friend Zig Fracassi. <laughs> Western New York native, huge hockey guy, huge football guy. Of course, he yes. does a lot of work for Sirius XM NFL Radio. 
And uh, you may remember him from Empire Sports Network. I mean, everybody remembers Zig from around here. He's going to talk to us about uh, Game 7, his thoughts on the Bills, and whatever else we decide to kick around, maybe even our days in Vegas, watching the old Las Vegas thunder of the International Hockey League. Everybody wants to hear about that. When we come back on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Tim Graham Show. Yes. I is Tim Graham Show. Guy I'd never heard of. Al Blozis. Maybe not today, but Al. Al Blozis. They were working on wet ball drills. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Well, what's the uh, the time period for when you can watch that on? Now on Sports Radio 1270. The Fan. Tune in radio. Sports 1270.com. And on the Fan's app. Your wife will never know. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I'm Tim Graham from The Athletic. Here with Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Jonah Bronstein's here, as is Bobby Rosati, and he Bobby is on fire today. <laughs> you have been busy since the last show. All kinds of oh, new yeah. drops and uh, what are those? Would that be also Our bumpers, bumpers? Sweepers, okay. yeah. Sweepers. You gotta learn this terminology. Spaceballs. What's the difference the between radar. a sweeper and a stinger? A uh, stinger is like a quick thing, like a like this is a stinger. It's like a quick thing, so well, it's like. Then an what's accent. the difference between a stinger and a drop? A drop is even shorter. A drop is like something that you can use over and over. Stinger's more of like a pronounced accent. What about stinger splash? Oh, do they uh, teach you this? Is there like a class? No, you just honestly you just kind of figure out. Put on the whiteboard, stinger. Yeah, stinger. We should have. Slapper. We should bring in our next guest to talk about this I because he's say. been in the radio industry for a long time, and I've known him since the mid '90s, when we were both living in Las Vegas. And coincidentally, I end up moving to his hometown market to cover the Buffalo Sabers, and then he moves back to the market, and we're both in the Sabers press box. We are joined now by Zig Fracassi of Sirius XM NFL Radio. And a huge hockey fan. He's been following and tweeting like crazy throughout this series. So I wanted to have him on to give us some thoughts on this Game 7 tonight between the Boston Bruins and the St. Louis Blues. Zig, welcome back to the Western New York Airwaves. Oh, Timmy, always good to be with you, my friend. Long for those days when uh, you, me, I think it was Nick Pavlatos, we'd all hang out uh, in the press box there at the Thomas and Mac watching Alexi Yash and and the Las Vegas Thunder, right? That's right. Although I was just a little bit of the Yash in days. I was more Patrice LeFave, Ken Quinney. Okay. You know, they had a handful of uh, NHL guys that were coming through at that time. Peter Nedved. Yes. Um, there was a guy from the Washington Cap, uh, P, uh, uh, Martin Gendron. Yes. Manny Legacy and Paris Duffus was were the Was Malarchuk there then, too? Or was that before or after you? Malarchuk was the assistant. He was on the, the coaching staff and the assistant GM. Right. So he wasn't okay. playing anymore. But they did bring him back for one game. They needed an emergency goalie. <laughs> and I think he played a period, and uh, he only faced a couple of shots. They were doing everything in their everything in their power to make sure he didn't face a shot. But, uh, yeah, those were fun times. 
Absolutely. And then being with you again uh, when you came to Western New York and I came back to the area, I've uh, long considered you a pro at what you do, and I'm honored to be on your show today. Well, thanks, Zig. You're you're one of the best ever, and uh, it's great to have you on. And Thank you. Didn't want to just have you on for any old reason, which I guess <laughs> we, we could do. Uh, but sure. Your beloved Boston Bruins uh, are having a nice run here. Uh, the best team in the playoffs, I thought. I didn't believe that St. Louis would give much of a problem uh, because of the dominance that Boston had shown through the first three rounds of the playoffs. But here we are entering Game 7 tonight. Where I guess where are you as a, as a Bruins fan? And do you feel a little guilty? I know you're not a New England in general. I know it's not, you're not a Red Sox fan, I don't think, are you? Or no, Patriots I, I do like, or Celtics. I, I do like the Celtics, and that was because I became a fan when the Braves left uh, for San Diego, and now they're the L.A. Clippers. But I, I always admired the Celtics when I was a kid, whenever they come into the old Memorial Auditorium. But I was, uh, I was, that was the one team, Timmy, I rooted for in Buffalo was the Braves. I do like the Bills. Sabres I just never got onto, but uh, the Braves was my team. So do you feel a little guilty rooting for Boston when you know everybody hates that uh, region and they, they know that Boston's had enough championships, <laughs> and yet you're a Bruins fan, so you haven't had enough. Uh, oh, but, no. but, you know, people are, are generally uh, pulling for St. Louis, I think. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would agree with that because, first of all, you've got, you know, the fact that, what is it? I think uh, there have been, what, a dozen championships won by the professional teams in Boston, I think, since 2000. Uh, the Bruins, you know, they they snapped a 39-year drought in 2011, winning Game 7 in Vancouver. Then they had a good chance, Timmy, to win it in 13, but Game 6, the infamous 17 seconds late in Game 6, and they wound up blowing that chance against the Blackhawks, and they've had some good teams since, but now... They, they've really adhered to this, you know, next man up mantra. I think people regarded them as this young and coming team with, obviously, your core guys like Bergeron, Marshawn, Chara, Rask, and all that. But the fact that, you know, they've gotten this far and have had guys like McAvoy and Bergeron and Chara, even I think Marshawn missed some time. They've missed significant time. It's been that next man up philosophy. And Bruce Cassidy who, you know, I think learned lessons from his first stint in the head coaching ranks with the Washington Capitals. He really has a good pulse on this team. And I said this. I thought people asked me who might come out of the East if Tampa doesn't. I said the Boston-Toronto winner. And here we are, Game 7 with the Bruins. Well, just to, this is Mike Rodak, by the way, Zig. Hey, Mike, how are you, man? Good, good. I know everybody will probably roll their eyes at me saying this, but just to counter Tim's point, I don't think you should feel guilty because it's – I want to say it's a totally different team, but there's only five players left from the last time the Bruins won the Cup. No, no, I don't think it's – well, let me just maybe clarify my point. It's not a – you shouldn't feel guilty as a Bruins fan. Right. But as a Boston – you know, and Zig is not a Boston slash New England fan, but it's like Zig wants his championship and he deserves his championship, but it's all part of the big – broader New England Boston right. obnoxiousness that everybody I else think some people lose the fact in that though that these are different teams and different coaches and different GMs and different players. Like guys like Charlie McAvoy have never won a title. Guys like right. um I was gonna, DeBrusque. Right. You know DeBrusque, guys yeah. of that ilk. Charlie know? Coyle. I mean it's right. it's uh I think some people lose that that aspect that these are all new players and and different uh teams. So Sorry to butt in, Tim. I just no, I no, no. Like and I, I would, to... 
And I would remind people, too, guys, that, you know, before this, you know, great run that the Red Sox and the Patriots have been on, you look between, oh, say, 1970 and maybe, what, 2001, it was either the Bruins or Celtics winning those championships, and they were a little bit spread out. It was only until, like, what, 2001 when the Patriots, you know, won that uh, miracle Super Bowl against the greatest show on turf is when all of this success now started. And, of course, the Red Sox ending that 86-year drought in 04 against the Cardinals. So this has been sort of a, I guess, recent phenomenon, if you want to call it that, within the last 20 years as to why they've had this success. We're in conversation with Zig Vercasi of Sirius XM NFL Radio. And I should say Sirius XM Sports, not just uh, NFL, uh, but Zig does, uh, does it all. And uh, when it comes to the world of sports, the guy is, uh, is uh, more well-rounded than anybody else. And, Thank you. Uh, but we'll talk a little bit of Bills. I, I want to stay on the, on the hockey for a little bit longer, especially since you've been following it so closely. So, and I was at games one and two, by the way. Oh, you too, were at so. those games? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So this is only the 17th time in NHL history that we're getting to a game seven. And it's the right. first time since uh, 2011 when the Bruins did it. But interestingly enough, I think, Home teams are 12-4. and four. Uh, So you think, all right, well, big advantage for, for Boston. But when Boston won it in 2011, they were the road team. And the time before that, Pittsburgh won it in 2009 as the road team. So the past two road teams have won. Right. Does that mean – I don't know. What does that mean? Does that mean we throw it out, that it doesn't matter it as makes, much as it used to? It makes tonight more interesting. I, I would agree with Mike. I think it does make it more interesting. And we've seen – you know, after, what was it, uh, when the Blues, you know, tanked in Game 3, they bounced back at home in Game 4. But, you know, they've had this great record on the road all season long. So I think from their standpoint, they're going to take the approach of, well, you know, January 1st, we had the worst record in the league. We're not even supposed to be here. So if you use the logic of, hey, if anybody had told me in January we're going to be playing for our first ever Stanley Cup championship, we could play the game in Borneo for all we care. If we got a chance to win, then that that's the approach. If I'm Craig Berube and I'm the locker room there in St. Louis, that's what I take. But I think you know when you see Boston, you got a lot, you got quite a few New England kids in that lineup. And I think if Grizzly comes back tonight, which he's supposed to. Then you factor in Coyle, Achari, some of the other guys that they've got on their roster. You know, what what a better way to win your first ever championship on your home ice in front of all your family and friends. So you can go either way with the sort of feeling of how Game 7 should go. This is interesting to me. I don't want to get into a place where I put you in a a spot, uh, Zig, where we're criticizing uh, another broadcaster, but I think this is interesting. So the game day release that NBC Sports put out regarding tonight's game, they bill it this way in their first sentence. Um, I'll read the whole thing. NBC Sports' comprehensive coverage of the 2019 Stanley Cup playoffs culminates with a dramatic winner-take-all Stanley Cup final Game 7 tonight at 8 p.m. on NBC as, now this is the part that I find interesting, as Brad Marchand and the Boston Bruins host Vladimir Tarasenko and the St. Louis Blues. All right, so I guess in the PR world, sometimes you want to throw a player in there and it's have it so-and-so. But Brad Marchand and the Bruins, how about Tuka Rask and the Bruins and Ryan <laughs> O'Reilly and the Blues? Those are your two... Con Smythe guys, aren't they? If if I mean, is there a different Con Smythe candidate? 
I guess no, obviously I, what happens tonight could matter, but but those guys have had the most dominant playoffs for their teams. I, I would agree. Or you could even have said Jordan Bennington. I mean, the you know, essentially a first-year guy who, by the way, was with the Providence Bruins for a stint on loan, so you got that little storyline in. So, Or, you know, some would say Patrice Bergeron because he embodies the class of the franchise, but admittedly maybe hasn't been scoring-wise as much as he should. So I'm with you, Timmy. I would say, you know, Rask, and there's a good chance, even if the Blues do win, there's a chance Rask could still be the Conn Smythe winner, even if Boston loses. Yeah, that's kind of tough to pull off, but I I would agree. It's happened, I, I think I think he deserves it. Yeah, like well, right now or something. Three out of the the four favorites for the Conn Smythe are Blues players. It's Rask who's the favorite, and then Bennington, O'Reilly, and Schwartz. Yeah, two, three, and four. I would agree with that. Schwartz, Colorado Collegers, you know, and, and Timmy knows my interest in college hockey, too. That's where a lot of these guys are coming from anymore. I think the Bruins have at least a dozen guys on their roster, and Schwartz is probably out of that Colorado college program, Pareko out of Maine. So there's another boost to the, to the worth of college hockey when it comes to the Stanley Cup playoffs. As a quick aside, I like that Zig calls me Timmy because that makes it really feel like we're talking about <laughs> hockey because that's a clearly a hockey thing. And I also I get a kick when people on Twitter will call me Timmy as a way to try to get me riled up or they're insulting me as a little boy. But I've made this ex- ex- uh, this Dude, explanation I've a couple times. For years. I've yep. been t- I've been Timmy forever because yeah. I you, you cover hockey. That's who you are. I mean, that's, people. I'm, that's what Chris Tim Drury Tim. called me, <laughs> Tim Tim. Uh, yeah, I mean Timmy could be Grammy. Grammy. They could sometimes call me Grammy. Whatever, what I mean, like Dougie, Dougie Hamilton. Dougie, there's a hockey D- name. Doug Ziggy. Yeah, it's good stuff. Or so, Rhodes, we could call him Mike Rhodes. How about ooh, that? I like that. <laughs> That's yeah. a, Rhodes, Roadman. Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. Um, I've, I mean, I've definitely heard worse on Twitter. As someone who knows <laughs> the Western New York market so well, Zig, what what's been your feeling as as the season has unfolded and then the postseason? With Ryan O'Reilly playing as well as he has, what when you juxtapose his performance with the fact that he was moved out of Buffalo, Sabres fans having to watch this, what what comes to mind? I would think if you're a Sabres fan, there's the first thought would be, well, why didn't you do this while you were in Buffalo? Well, the last time I checked. You've got Eichel and maybe another player or two that's worthy, but uh, the supporting cast, you don't have Pareko. You don't have Jaden Schwartz. You don't have Braden Shen. You don't have a Tarasenko. You don't have a goalie coming out of the middle of nowhere to save your season and a coaching change to boot. So I think Ryan O'Reilly, and I think he was rather forthcoming, and people don't want to hear this because they spend a lot of money to see these athletes play, but basically he admitted to checking out because the losing got to him. So when they made this deal, Doug Armstrong had absolutely no apprehension of it. So sometimes, guys, I think a change of scenery, change of city does you good. Of course, remember, Ryan O'Reilly started his career in the Western Conference, so I'm sure it was nice for him to go back to playing some teams he was familiar with. And, hey, you're around a superior cast and a good atmosphere. You know, things can happen that way, and it kind of ties into the old narrative. It's funny what happens when guys leave Buffalo and, you know, they become effective elsewhere, and unfortunately, Ryan O'Reilly's the latest to do that. We're in conversation with Zig Fricasi of Sirius XM NFL and Sirius XM Sports. 
Uh, Zig, let's uh, talk about uh, the NFL and sure. your Buffalo Bills. Uh, since uh, they're on a little bit of an upswing, at least in terms of the feel of the team. Uh, they're on the rise. A young team last year making some changes. Uh, how do you feel about your team? Um, I First of all, I think you have to be pleased with what they've done. I think they've gone about this in a very, very smart you know, uh, disposition when it comes you know, to the free agency. It was obvious that they needed to address the offensive line. And, you know, they did that, obviously, uh, bringing in, I think, at least, what, two, maybe three new starters. And uh, I thought Mitch Morse was a really good ad from the Kansas City Chiefs. I know uh, Jeff Schwartz, who I work with here at SiriusXM, his brother Mitchell, the outstanding tackle from the Chiefs, and always raved about, you know, the play of Mitch Morse. So I think that was a nice ad. Uh, Shecky from Washington's Mr. Versatile. He can do a lot of different things. Ford, I like, as a second-round pick. Uh, I think you, when adding Frank Gore to that backfield, yeah, it's a little crowded back there, but you can't undersell his leadership. Defensively, I thought they were pretty good to begin with, and then you put in Ed Oliver to play that uh, defensive tackle. You gave Jerry Hughes a nice contract. I think the secondary is on the rise, and I think people ridiculed with Brandon Bean, who I know you just had on your show, and also uh, Sean McDermott for why are you changing all these guys when you made the playoffs two years earlier? Well, it's clear that they had a different vision and outlook for where this team needed to be, and I think they've done that. They brought in a lot of good character guys and guys with ability, and I think some nice component parts to add to Josh Allen, who I think is ascending, but they do need a better job of keeping him horizontal. What do you want to see out of Josh Allen in his second season? Uh, steady improvement. Uh, it's not going to be the Super Bowl, but I, I would think a chance to compete for the wild card. Also, you know, a lot was made, and even on our channel, that you know the one problem with him was he didn't have a great percentage of completions when he was at Wyoming. Well, you know, there's a lot of variables that go into that, the receivers, the coaching, the particular play, what have you. If he's up around 60%, you know, a two-to-one touchdown interception ratio, I think he's got a chance to be good. I think the Bills have a shot at the wild card. Zig Fercasi, it's great to have your voice back here on these airwaves. Uh, I've missed it. Hearing it again brings back not only a lot of memories of listening to you every day, but makes me wonder why we don't hear it more often. And uh, well, I don't know where that uh, where that might stand with you, but what a welcome re-edition it would be to have Zig Fricasi back on in, in Western New York. It's been an honor to have you on uh, oh, yeah. as a friend and also as uh, one of the great broadcasters here in Buffalo history. Thanks so much for joining us, Zig. Timmy, you're too kind with the words, my friend. You know how I feel about you. The athletics better off to have you, too. And Mike did an outstanding job at ESPN, man. Props to you as well. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Zig yep. Fercasi's Twitter bio says underrated brilliance. <laughs> and he says it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I'm going to agree with it. There's some, there's some truth there. Uh, highly underrated. Is there? Can you be highly? Yeah, highly. Very yes. underrated? Of High, course. Highly underrated is kind right. of a... That's not an oxymoron? No. Very underrated. There's a Let's lot just of, put it at there. There's a lot of, uh, uh, what do you call it, oxymorons. Like piece Right offensive. here in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> Ultra <laughs> morons. All right, we got to take like four breaks right now. <laughs> we've totally destroyed. We've, we've mutilated this hour. All right, when we come back, it'll be more sports on uh, the Tim Graham Show. The day is long.
Sports Radio 1270, The Fan, The Tim Graham Show. You're a young athlete. You're brimming with confidence. You is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. The Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270TheFan. Taking your calls at 270-1270. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Amalgamated, Inc. is here. Handle and thanks for Periscope. You can see a live stream of this Tim Graham show and all previous Tim Graham shows in perpetuity. We've tweeted out the link for that if you want to check it out now or later. Bobby Rosati working his vape stick off today. Uh, what are we uh, smoking today? Whatever it's called. What are we vaping? vaping. Prickleberry is dead. It's gone. Prickleberry. Prickly. What have I been saying? Prickle? Prickleberry. See, it's gone. Are you ever going to get more of that, or are you no. done with it forever? No, I, there's no reason for me to. It's gross, but well, I finished it, and it's done. You've had the entire thing. Yeah. How much does, does one do, of those cost? One of these? Like yeah. $10. They're supposed to be like 30 bucks. And so you felt so compelled that you didn't want to waste $10 that you vaped the entire bottle, yeah. even though you hated well, it. Well, because it's not, I, I didn't hate it. It was just not, it's not good, no. you know? Okay. Mm. What are you smoking? I Wait, how long that. ago did you buy that, though? How long does a, a bottle like that last? This, uh, four months. Okay. Yeah. Plus, I have a bunch of other ones, so actually it probably lasts like six. Is but. there a sense of accomplishment to finally get through that? Because no. Because you've been going for four months of trying to <laughs> no, just it just feels like I don't have I don't have as much of a surplus. So so what's next on the docket? Honeysuckle and no, I, I got to go back to some lemonade. I'm getting sick of all these weird flavors, you know. Yeah. yeah. Passion fruit and yeah, dragonberry. Is that yeah. The next one. Maybe something like that, like dragonberry lemonade or strawberry. Um, uh, strawberry. Milk of magnesia and caster oh, and Captain God. Crunch. Yeah, oh, cereal ones are gross. Yeah. with They do it with the milk. Ugh. Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Elmer's Glue. <laughs> yeah. It kind of has the aftertaste. So I need help, Tim. With? In a lot of ways. But we're doing a project for ESPN.com this summer. I mean, we do this every year, so it's not anything uh, proprietary. But where we pick the – there's five different categories for our division. And each reporter in, in the division has to pick – their first choice and their second choice for these categories. So, I mean, there's the obvious one. There's division winner. I picked the Patriots and the Jets as my first and second choice. I don't think that's egregious. I think Bills fans would argue with the Jets' choice. but Yeah, Patriots you have to put first. And, yeah, I think it's probably a coin flip between the Bills and the Jets in the second spot. Similar to the second question, I had 
division MVP, I had Tom Brady, and I picked Sam Darnold over Josh Allen. I think it's a coin flip. I think I would say that Sam Darnold ended last season or at least had a better last season than Josh Allen did. And you're also, by predicting that the Jets finish second, that the Jets will have a better year than the Bills. Right. What about Le'Veon Bell in that situation? Well, I I did pick him for a different category, the top newcomer. But you can also pick him as MVP and newcomer. It's not newcomer. Cucumber? I I think that would be (laughs) – that would work. I mean, I, I'm i not sure about Le'Veon. I think I would feel that's a risk. I mean, he didn't play last year. So to pick him to be MVP of the division after not playing last year, I, I, I guess that's happened before. I mean, Tom Brady missed a year and came back. But um, top newcomer was my pick for him. And number two for top newcomer, I picked Quinnen Williams. I mean, what's his competition there? Frank Gore and Keel. Harry with the uh, the Patriots, Ed Oliver with the Bills. Well, it could be a free agent too, right? Because uh, that's you're picking Le'Veon Bell. So right. C.J. Mosley, Cole Beasley, yeah, that's... Mitch Morse. I mean, if you want to get, but then you're starting to grade offensive linemen, which becomes right. very difficult. Right. Stats wise, uh, I don't think Cole. I mean, Cole Beasley's has he caught more? Has he surpassed 700 receiving yards in his career? No, but that doesn't mean he won't in this offense. And a lot of people are talking it up. I, I I've read. Um, rising star, maybe that's well. Like Colby's not a rising star, but Sam Darnold and Josh Allen, I think, were two reasonable choices there. Which brings me to the category that I really so wait just talk to, about. for clear. So you have Sam Darnold before, as the number one rising star. Josh, Josh Allen, Allen is number correct. two. Again, that's I think based on the other answers, I think you have to go with that order. All right. I mean, I'm having a hard time. I'm trying to think: is there a defensive potential playmaker out there? I mean, you can. It depends how you define star and if players are already there. Jamal Adams with the Jets, or Tredavious White with the Bills, are they already stars? When it says rising star, what's the criteria you're given? How, is there There's an none. age or a number of There's, years in the league? There is none. Okay. So it's just, I think, your own definition. And that's the definition to me. I, I want to call Josh Allen or Sam Darnold a star yet. Um, you could I, also maybe, if you want to just, free, um, like, in your mind, to try to get your uh, – to get your uh, – to get a better grasp of it, think mm-hmm. of it as breakout star. Breakout. That's a great one. Because yeah. that could be Tredavious White. If you think right. he's on the verge of becoming an elite, re- going from yeah, pretty I, good player to elite, then, yeah, you might want to pick yeah, somebody I don't like, think that's where he was um, last year. Like, Stephon Gilmore, I think, was a breakout player last year. Mm-hmm. It was probably the best corner in the league. Um, you know, there could be, I don't know, maybe a Robert Foster is a breakout player. Uh, that could be another one. But, again, the the category that I really had to sit and think about for a second was the hottest seat, which you're talking about coach and GM in that case. And there's eight of them. Well, the Patriots are probably argue about the GM title in New England, and that's kind of a whole different story right now. Yeah, there's seven of them. Nick really. Casario and uh, the Texans. But, you know, Belichick you can obviously eliminate. And then you kind of have to sort through the rest of them. You have a couple first-year coaches in Brian Flores and Adam Gaze, which in theory would make them comfortable. But we've Yeah, they're seen... not going to be on a hot seat in their first year. I, I think Gaze would be closer to the hot seat than Flores. Well, I think I, right. Flores could go 1-15. So I don't then think the default answer is Sean McDermott. To me, the default answer was Chris Greer. The general manager in Miami. Right, but – Again, you're looking at a situation where they can be terrible this year, and I think fans don't expect anything more. So 
there's no pressure. I, I think the one dynamic with Greer is that he wasn't hired by Flores. That he was a holdover from the previous regime. Granted, he wasn't in charge. It was yep. Tannenbaum who was in charge. Now Tannenbaum's gone. But so Chris Greer is your number one guy on the hot seat. Yes, and then Sean McDermott is number two. But I, I you can even flip it. I think you can make a case that Sean McDermott has the hottest seat in the division. By maybe, default, maybe. Yeah, but. it is by default. Maybe uh, to make a statement to say nobody. I think the entire division is safe. There's no, there isn't a general manager. Now, that said, Brian Gain, formerly with the Buffalo Bills, was right. just fired as general manager of the Houston Texans, despite in one season, he got one year. Right. He went 11-5, and five, and they won the AFC South. But there was... Uh, uh, there was a struggle, a power struggle with Bill O'Brien, the head coach there, and and Brian Gaines. So he gets a raw deal. So I guess anything could happen. Yeah, and I think you know if you're looking at a power struggle and potential fireworks, the Jets are probably that team. But are you I, really going to fire Joe Douglas? You know, after I think that it, I think maybe Adam Gase could be the the on the, the hottest seat. choice. Because he's already had a shot. Is it really his? It's his first year with the Jets, but it's not his first year as a head coach like it like it is for Brian Flores. He's already in the division. He's a known quantity, and if the Jets totally fall on their faces, then Adam Gase might be uh, the, the. But then he could make the, the argument that choice. it was McCagnin who went out and picked the guys Le'Veon Bell and C.J. Mosley, which apparently, according to some of the reports, played into. McCagnin's firing that Gase wasn't happy with the Le'Veon Bell signing, etc. Gase can make the argument, well, give me an offseason and, and me and Joe Douglas an offseason to figure it out. So, again, it circles back to Buffalo. And I think if you're an outsider... If and you're, the Jets are already being criticized for too much cleaning of house, like for right. repeatedly making changes. So if after this season they do it again... right. You're a circus. Yes. Not that they're, they're already, already a circus. Right, exactly. They're already being accused of But one. they're trying to reestablish themselves as a place that at least has quasi-consistency. So, right. But I do think that Gase, because he seems to be a rather toxic guy. There's yeah. something about he was in Miami for a short period of time, and they mm-hmm. got rid of him. Right. He's with the Jets, and then all of a sudden the GM gets fired, Mike McCagnin, who you mentioned. Uh, yeah, what's going on with this guy? He's got a weird vibe. What too. happens too? And this is a totally—I mean, I'm not so naive as to think that Woody Johnson isn't having some say on all this. But Woody Johnson, the actual owner of the New York Jets, is away from the team because he is an ambassador to Great Britain. Yes. Is it Donald Trump appointed him his friend, uh, an ambassador? So to be the ambassador, he's not allowed to really own the Jets. Any, I mean, he still owns the Jets, but he's not allowed to have managerial control. So his brother, is Chris uh, Johnson, is yeah. now doing all this stuff. They have, uh, according to reports, which I believe because I think that they're true and they're pretty well uh, reported, and, and uh, is Peter Schrager, a talking head at NFL Network, has been advising Chris Johnson on what to do at general manager and with these coaching and all these different decisions, which is strange. Um, but, um, but anyway, so if Trump, let's say if something happens where Woody Johnson comes back in, who's, I don't know, maybe he has been divorced from the team as he's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not so naive as to think that that's exactly true. <laughs> it's a more volatile but it, franchise. Yeah. But what if Woody does come back and says, you know what, while you guys were gone, you made, you did a bunch of stuff I didn't like. Yeah. And Adam Gase is out again. Well, I, I'm, I, 
I'm just in- interested to see what the rest of the division, the other three reporters in the division, say for that question. Or even if you posed it to, um, wow, the Patriots uh, filed tampering charges against the Texans for the attempted hire of Nick Casario, according nice. to Adam Schefter, as we were just saying. I mean, know, there was that whole um, <clears throat> question of whether Nick Casario is the Patriots GM and apparently has uh, reached new levels there. Um so yeah, it's it circles back to the Bills, and I remember being on a lot of radio stations towards the end of last season, where you know the Bills were bad when they were two and seven, and coming out of that whole Nathan Peterman situation. There's a lot of people saying is Sean McDermott in trouble in Buffalo because they made the playoffs the year before, and look at their season now. Um, and I sort of had to talk those shows off the ledge and say no, like it's not that. It's not like that here. You know, it's it's a quote-unquote long-term It's similar thing. to the assumption that Roger Goodell's talking about a stadium, therefore the Bills might move. Right. You know, the, <laughs> that's the same. You have to understand what's going on here. You have to understand right. the dynamic of when Bills drive to know that they are not moving right. and to know that Sean McDermott was not ever going to be on the hot seat last year. Right. But at the, at the same time, his record in Buffalo is now 15 and 17. 15 and 18? 15 and 17. I, I can't do math. He was 6 and 10 last year and 9 and 7 the year before. So if you're an outsider looking at a third year coach with a 15 and 17 record entering this year, why would he not be in the hot seat? You know, why would he not be the number one choice in this category? And it's it's just weird, weird, but it's it's interesting to see how different the um the vibe is within this city, within this region, as it is the rest of the country. Here, it's like everything's fine. They're going to be on this straight path, and they're going to get better this year, and they signed all these free agents, and there's almost this linear improvement expected. And everywhere else, it's like, well, you have a third-year coach who needs to win this year. No, it's not. I think that people don't under people outside of Western New York don't. I'm not saying they're right. right. I'm just saying there's I don't, a difference. I don't think that they've fully appreciate how bad things were during that 17-year playoff drought right. and how uh, how wayward the organization felt without a quarterback. And they knew who, they didn't never knew who the quarterback was, with the exception of that brief time when Trent Edwards looked like a future pro bowler, um, and that evaporated pretty quickly. Well, at that time when they gave Fitz an extension. Right, and then, you know, but Tyrod I think people, nobody really ever saw the – the layered approach that's happening right now. And I've said this before is that I don't know if Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are going to work, but whenever the bills do turn it around and by the law of averages, they will at some point, uh, and they may be turning it around right now. This is what it will have looked like. I agree. Hiring these types of guys, doing these types of things, hitting the reset button, pulling back a little bit, building, you know, uh, building from the ground up. Mm-hmm. So I think there are a lot of things going on with the Bills that uh, that provides hope or at least a semblance of uh, this is this is what it's supposed to look like as we move forward as opposed to the patching together of, uh, you know, with duct tape and plaster of Paris. There's also Elmer's the glue. yes the Elmer's power glue. dynamics in the organization. You're not going to have this isn't a case where the general manager is going to be firing the coach. If they were to fire Sean McDermott, it would have to be a total reset of really everybody in the front office. And you know the owners having 
Well, I mean, how many changes with the hockey coaches in the past five, six years, and no appetite to go through that again with the football team next year? Unless would they? Would they, they absolutely have to fire have both? To. Could they fire? They don't one have to, the other? but practically speaking, that I, I don't think Brandon Bean has the juice over there to fire Sean McDermott and stick around and hire a new coach. Maybe we could have asked him that earlier. I mean, <laughs> non-bills, but hold on. I don't know. I, I think he would, and I think the fact that he came in one draft later. Well, oh, you really think that? You think that one player addition cycle later than Sean McDermott, I think, would change. Like he's he's hasn't been here as long. If the quarterback, all right, so we could take it. Let's take it a couple of steps deeper. If it gets to a point where Sean McDermott or Brandon Bean really were to get fired, it's going to be because Josh Allen isn't working out. Right. And if Josh Allen isn't working out, then one of the questions is going to be, why didn't you get Pat Mahomes? Mm-hmm. And there was only one of those two guys was around when they traded out of that spot uh, and let Kansas City draft Patrick Mahomes, and that was Sean McDermott. Brandon Bean wasn't here yet. So... That's an argument that could be made, and if there was a columnist in this town who wrote about the NFL on a regular basis, I'm sure that you would probably hear quite a bit of that. And that's something I actually I've been thinking. You know, with without a Jerry Sullivan, without his voice in the Buffalo News, like who really does, who really could put the heat on anybody? And maybe that actually does affect who is who's into where's the hot seat come from? Well, Jerry's not because that's right. part of it. Well, I me this no, radio show right. And- he does, in the Niagara Gazette. but he doesn't have that megaphone, and Smaller he's not megaphone. and he's not in the room right there in front of Sean McDermott asking him these questions three times a week or in the post game press conferences, and hopefully he will be this year. But the what I'm what I'm saying is is that when you had talked about your hot right. seats for your uh, survey here, Mike, right? The hot a lot of the hot seat is the the magnitude of the media in that market. So. Yeah. Being on the back page, being ridiculed by the New York Post and the New right. York Daily News, or having a columnist like Armando Salguero down at the Miami Herald mm-hmm. and, and all those uh, voices down there, I think are can uh, can manipulate the hot seat way more than than the media in Buffalo right now. Right, and I have the editorial leeway to do that. I mean, there's nobody stopping me from writing a column about anything. Yes, there is. It's going to be the the people who. Well, terminate your I was deal say, in, in three weeks. If or I was still here, I'm <laughs> speaking those terms. But I, I think over the last two years, like if you're writing that column, you're doing it against uh, this invisible force that is much stronger than it ever has been, at least since I've been here. Like I, f- I feel like three or four years ago, if you wrote a critical column, you're doing it in an environment that's more welcome to it. Now it's like you're questioning this um, this path that the team is along, and everybody has to sort of be pulling in the right direction. And I think the media, in in some ways, is I don't want to use the word complicit, but I I think the media is certainly giving the team um, its space when it comes to trying to build this team. And everybody, I think, is a little bit leery of. Um, I think that makes sense, though. Trying it's a to team... burn it down with a column. Right. I, I agree. You're not I... fumigating the football department as, as you wrote before. Right. Well, that was after years of trying. I think that people are finally ready to give people who are going to look like they're doing it the right way some time to do it. Right. As opposed to the slapdash way that was done under the, the Ralph Wilson slash 
um, no ownership Russ void, Brandon, right. you know, uh, that era of, of wherever it's like coach and GM not hired at the same time. Right. One always seemed to have more leverage over the other. And it was, okay, when's the GM gone? Then the GM's gone. All right, well, then it's time. Now when's the coach going to be gone? And they just it went back and forth. But to bring it back to the question that I had to answer, you know, this is obviously based on the end of the season. When you, when you speak of a hot seat, you're, you're, you're talking about, you know, at, by the end of the year, who might be in trouble. And to me, I wonder how much will that feeling, that vibe around this team change in the next six months if this team does not do well, if they go six and ten, if they go seven and nine, even I, I think there would be questions. Josh Allen is going to determine that. However, right. you are also predicting that he's going to be the number two rising star in the division. So right. then maybe you eliminate Sean McDermott as the hot seat. And God knows who else is uh, the next choice. Adam Gaze, I guess. But I think Sean McDermott's one of the most secure coaches in the league. Probably. I think breaking that playoff drought, but. Both him and Bean, a lot of goodwill. And as I mentioned earlier, the way the the power he has, I think the way the Pagula family respects Sean McDermott, and he's not the football czar, but in a way he kind of is. He's, he they trust like him. He has. He's the the guiding force behind their football decisions. Does it have to be a coach or general manager on the hot seat? Can it be a coordinator? Maybe it's Nick Casario now if the Patriots are upset that he's because well, if he, I don't think it's him. I think they're upset with the Texans. But I think what it may be is they're going to let Casario go and they're just angling for a draft pick. See, I could see them elevating Casario to GM in title and claiming that the Texans can't hire him because he's already a GM here or in in New England. Um, and maybe they just keep him in that role. Maybe you have Belichick to get creative goes. with your hot seat. Brian Dayball would be my next choice then. Yeah. Is there a coordinator? There isn't a defensive coordinator in New England. They're not firing Josh McDaniels. I would have to think, I mean, the Jets just hired their coordinators. Greg Williams, I think, is such a inflammatory person that maybe he would be one. But Brian Dayball is another one where we kind of discussed it today at practice where you make – I think they've signed 14, 15, 16 offensive free agents this year. And if you can't get that group going – you can't get Josh Allen going, and it's not – I'm not implying that would be Dable's fault, but I think at the end of the day that would might be pinned on Dable. If it's a repeat of last year where the defense is strong and the offense struggles right. in the way it has, I and, think he'll be the scapegoat. And maybe it doesn't take until the end of the season. I mean, the Ken Dorsey hiring to me was a big uh, signal that you're hiring a guy who has experience calling plays in Carolina – if I'm not mistaken, he replaced Mike Shula when he was fired. I, I might have the timeline wrong, but you have a guy. You can make the argument that this here's a guy who helped Cam Newton out, and if you have these comparisons made between Josh Allen and Cam Newton, as Brandon Bean did to some extent in an article by Dan Graziano this week, then maybe you want Cam Newton's guy, quote-unquote, and Ken Dorsey. I don't know. They've already fired one coordinator. Let's not act like it's – it's uh, you can't touch these guys, and that's the other thing. It's like there's this long-term idea. Okay, like you can't fire people because you're building long-term, and uh, you need everybody to improve and we're gonna get better each year and each day. Continuity. I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure Sean McDermott thinks that way. He's fired a lot of coaches in two years here, and there's been a lot of players. When you look at the roster two years ago to what the roster is going to be in Week One this year, it's you're gonna be 10, 15 players left. 
Like, I don't think they're just hanging, keeping guys around just for the sake of, you know, let's build this thing and, and keep the whole group together and we'll, we'll go upwards. I think there's, there, there's definitely jobs at risk. All right, when we come back, we're going to have more Bills talk. And going along the line of the Toronto Raptors fans cheering at Kevin Durant's injury a couple of nights ago, how about the time Bills fans cheered when one of their own players got hurt? People want to talk about who's classless and fans and whether or not you're supposed to uh, have a certain demeanor or solemnity when it comes to injured players. Oh, yeah. I've seen it. Oh, no. You're going to unleash. When we come back on the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Radio 1270, The Fan. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. This is song goes out to my guys here in the studio today. Yeah. Carrying me. Anywho. And how come I keep thinking about her in all these sexual scenarios and stuff, huh? <laughs> Bobby is jotting down yeah. a time of that. That's going to end yep. up in a bumper. I love this story because in this athletic piece, they called up OJ. It blew my mind that we can just call up OJ now. And you know who the big winner in this is? The Tim Graham Show. Pulled out. Gurgling. Such a vagabond he is, too. He's bounced up and down and gone all around. On Twitter at 1270 The Fan. <laughs> Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Mike Rodak of ESPN.com, Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Enterprises. NBA game today. Bobby Rosati, producer extraordinaire at Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. What's this about an NBA game, you said? No, you I say? was just being myself and butting into your intro by saying maybe we should talk some basketball. Some hoops? Yeah. I just wanted to make mention. I mean, we'll talk about basketball, the Kevin Durant injury, of course, but I specifically recall being at Ralph Wilson Stadium and before it was renamed. I'm guessing it was 2000. Would have been 2001, maybe. Rob Johnson was in the game and struggling and getting injured. And Bills fans cheering at Rob Johnson being hurt, their own quarterback. So I was chuckling to myself as I saw everyone on social media getting on the classless Toronto fans and saying, uh, waving a finger and saying, oh, so-and-so would never do that or I would never do that or how it, it it's a visceral reaction. Yes, you probably you shouldn't do it in the heat of the moment. Toronto fans going into that game thinking they're going to win or have a chance to win their first NBA title and watching Kevin Durant play like he did in those opening, what, five minutes? No, it was first quarter and beyond. Was it second quarter? About 14 minutes into the game, yeah. Okay, so and to see him playing as well, and if you're a Toronto Raptors fan, you're thinking, oh my, there goes our chance. Durant's back. 
they they could win these next three games without much trouble because he looked that good. And the difference with the Warriors, yeah, that's right, because he did come out. They put that little splint on his leg uh, in between uh, while he took a rest. And the difference between the Warriors with Durant and the Warriors without Durant was obvious. And him coming back out there and – so he gets hurt, and I can understand a visceral eruption of, all right, thank God this guy's out of the game. All right. And then he gets up, and everybody cheered, and they were chanting his name, and they they were um, – Which you don't see that too often. Usually the not. crowd flipping to supporting the injured athlete on the road. Right. And but and then to see the, the debate happen on social media regarding the injury, and I just remembered Rob Johnson being cheered – or jeered – uh, by uh, Bills fans. I also found another instance, and I bet you if I dug harder, I'd find some others. Uh, in November of 2000, Charlie Batch got a concussion in a game for the Detroit Lions, and as he was being helped off the field with a concussion, the Lions fans cheered. So these are their own – fans cheer their own people getting hurt sometimes. Yeah. I feel like Oh, there's... a lot of people are also mentioning the infamous Michael Irvin being hurt in Philadelphia – yeah, a uh, situation where it was obvious that Michael Irvin was seriously hurt, uh, a knee. Uh, so it's not even just knee. As you say, well, it's a knee injury. Well, these guys are cheering head injuries of right. their own players. I mean, there's there's different ways too. I'm thinking, like one game that comes to mind was the Bills Browns game 2013 in Cleveland when Brian Hoyer got hit. I think Kiko Alonso had to hit towards ACL, and. Brandon Whedon came into the game, and Browns fans booed Brandon Whedon, which is kind of the opposite. But it's still you're implying like they're upset with the injury, or <laughs> upset with the player coming in. I mean, there's there's different um, variations on the theme, but I feel like there's other other times where this has happened. And um, you know, when I when I first I was watching it live when that happened the other night, and my first thought was. Are they cheering, or was it just almost like when he got up and he was limping? It was almost like a gasp from the crowd. No, a, a I think they. It was pretty obvious that they were. They weren't just cheering the play. Well, I think they initially were cheering the play, but I, I thought that it was pretty obvious that Given, they were. It was right. a relief of, oh, thank God he is human. He's right. hurt again, and even if he's not done for his next seven months or whatever it's going right. to be, at least he's going to be diminished for the rest of this game and then we don't might not have to worry about it in game six and seven he yeah. also got hurt in a play where he's turning the ball over and the raptors are going the other way to score so and then there's people on video you can see are definitely cheering at durant but i think a lot of the building was cheering at the play itself in that moment for sure but then you can also see people waving goodbye at him yeah. And looking right at him and cheering and not, you know, the play's over at that point. And it was a quick turnaround once the uh, Warriors and the Raptors fans gave him the cut it out gestures and people realized, okay, uh, I, I'm probably being a jackass on national television here. Let's turn it around and be the friendly Canadians that we've always been. Uh, but, you know, there's also the, the R.J. Umberger hit. Uh, Brian Campbell laying out R.J. Umberger in the uh, – in, in the uh, playoffs when the uh, right here at uh, HSBC Arena when the Sabres were playing the Flyers. And uh, the Philadelphia media tried to make it a thing about the classless Sabres and uh, the number of times that they showed the replay on the uh, Jumbotron, which they showed only once, but by the time it was reported in the Philadelphia papers, it was six times 
But what they were doing was they were seeing the replays on the what would be at the time the the uh, the uh, Empire Sports broadcast. Is Empire Sports. Empire Sports Network. Did em, did Empire? How, when did Empire go away? Two thousand three. All right. So what? Well, where, yeah, when the Reguses well, who, went away. What gate? <laughs> right. But what gate? What, what were the Sabers on then? In that time, but before they weren't on MSG until the Pagulas, right? No, I think it was before that. When did? When were Sabers games on? What what channel were they? On? All right. Well, well, maybe I'll look that up during a break. I, I, without knowing exactly, I think they went right over to MSG when, when they needed to. Yeah, they went. Well, it was uh, 2003 and four. They're on Empire, and then the next year was the lockout. Right. And then they came back out of the lockout on MSG. Okay, I don't remember it that. Way. I mean, I, I don't. Uh, bad memory for me. Anyways, the bro- Zig Fracassi could have told us that. Uh, he absolutely he probably could. Uh, he was probably at the game. So what's your your thoughts of the Warriors moving ahead and what it means, Jonah, that they were able to win that game without him, especially after giving up the lead and then retaking it? Does that reestablish themselves as, okay, we're now a team that just doesn't – we don't have to wonder if if Kevin Durant's going to be on the court or not for the next game. We can now have a few practices where we know for sure who we have and who we don't. Let's rally together. Uh, do you see if this gives them any kind of propulsion through these next two games? Might give them a little bit of a mental boost in a way in that they're not waiting for Kevin Durant to come back and save them, and, and they know that they're playing the rest of the series without him. But I don't – as much as it was an impressive win on the road, Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson making those shots and showing the old cliche, the heart of a champion to pull that win out – they had so much trouble scoring before hitting those last couple threes in the last two minutes that I don't really like their chances of being able to win both of these games. Now, going back to uh, Golden State, going back to Oakland, this will be the last game ever played in Oracle Arena, the Coliseum that's been around for, I think, 45 years. That could give them an edge. They always play better at home anyways. So I do kind of like their chances of maybe winning game six at home. But then Game 7 back in Toronto, I think Toronto probably should have pulled that game out the other day. They they were very close to winning Game 2 at home as well. They've won the two games in Oakland already. Uh, just the way the Warriors are playing, the way they're struggling to get scoring from anybody other than Curry or Thompson, I don't like their chances of winning two more. It would be three in a row to end this series. I'm always hesitant, too, to read body language too much. But sometimes it's it's kind of powerful. And I thought that the reactions after the game to Kevin Durant's injury, even though the Warriors had just won the game, they seemed pretty deflated. That They could have been a little more excited of, hey, we're still alive, we're going back home, we're going to play our final game in the, at Oracle, and we know it's the final game, It's as opposed to other times when it might be the last game in Oracle or it's the last regular season game at Oracle. Now they know, the fans know that this is the last – game maybe the last event in oracle i don't know if they have some things planned throw the bleachers onto the field or onto the uh the court like they did in cleveland well i don't know about that i mean oakland's not thrilled that they lost the warriors to san fran no but it's the fan i mean how many of those fans are really from oakland True. yeah i mean it's such a corporate atmosphere so i don't know i i just thought it was uh, i thought it was striking how demoralized in victory the warriors seemed Clay Thompson yeah. was 
pissed off and just kind of uh, – there didn't seem to be a lot of spirit there. Right. I think a lot of that was just personal sadness and empathy for Kevin Durant that he came back to try to help him, and this is how it turned out. But the story of the series, I think, has been the the mental, physical, emotional fatigue of the Warriors going through this long playoff run for the fifth year in a row. A lot of these players are breaking down physically. They looked beaten even before – well, definitely before game five. just seemed like they didn't have the horses. They didn't have the energy and the stamina to beat the Raptors. They dug deep. They got this win in game six – or game five to force a game six to come back home. But I don't know if they have enough left to keep doing that for another game and then another game after that. Maybe they can do it. Maybe playing at home gives them that energy boost to win game six. Then they got to come back here and do it again. Although, on the other hand, Toronto's only been playing seven, eight guys for really most of the playoffs. Run. I think they, they went a little bit deeper in the bench in the first round. But for the last three rounds, they've only been playing eight guys and only seven of them getting a lot of minutes. And I think you saw some of that fatigue started to catch up with the Raptors. Nick Nurse called that timeout with about three minutes left because his players were tired and ended up backfiring a little bit, giving Golden State some rest, and they were able to go on a run to steal that game. So as is always the case at the end of a long playoff run, if this series goes seven games, it's become a battle of attrition with fatigue and injuries and mental fatigue and emotional fatigue, flying across country, you know, what is it, the third or fourth time they're making that trip, both teams. So as much as it's about basketball strategy and skill in these players, it's also kind of about who has enough left and who can dig deep and, and bring the energy and the focus at the end of the games to make the plays. And you know who's going to be fresh for game six. I know that the Warriors are without Kevin Durant, but who will be fresh for game six? Jonas Jerebko, two-time Tim Graham show denier. Oh, I thought you were going to say he was on the line. No. He didn't play the other game. He's the only Warrior who didn't get, in, why get didn't onto play. the court. So he's going to be fresh. Yeah. He's ready to step in for Durant if need be. Yeah. Well, and, and Not if he doesn't call us. The Warriors have been playing more guys. So as much as their main guys and, and Looney and Iguodala and Thompson have been hurt, they are relying on more guys and, and haven't don't seem to be in – the midst of this series dealing with as much fatigue at the end of games. Draymond Green was able to get over and deflect that shot from Kyle Lowry in the corner. That was a big play that, you know, for a guy that probably played more than 40 minutes in that game. On the other hand, another little bit of a factor, Draymond Green, if he gets another technical foul in game six, is going to be suspended for game seven. I don't think they can win a game seven without him. Can they win a game seven without Andre Godala? He's been a pretty... I think to win, they need him to play well. Yeah, He hasn't been really making shots. He's dealing with a calf injury throughout these playoffs, and they won game two because of a shot that he made, and that's and he made a three the other night, but those are, about, I think, the only jump shots he's made. And he was the problem they're having is him. He's turning down shots. Draymond Green started taking a couple in game five, but he's not really looking to score. They have other guys out there that are non-scorers. They miss Kevin Durant not necessarily being Kevin Durant, the best player in the world. They just miss having another reliable shooter that, if you leave him open, is going to take those shots. The space, the spacing well, on the floor gets too cramped for Curry, Curry and Thompson, yeah, and Thompson should with be. these other guys out there that yeah. as good as Sean Livingston and Andre Iguodala and Draymond Green are at certain aspects of the game, they're not great outside shooters, and Toronto has done a really good job of leaving guys open 
and not giving any space for Curry and Thompson to get their shots off and get shots at the rim. I think like at some point they're going to, you know, draft somebody, get younger. Like they haven't really done that. I mean, they've. Well, they've drafted players, but they've kind of they drafted Kevon Looney. They've all they've been drafting to try to find a center for all these years, right. and some of these guys worked out to a certain extent. Some of them didn't, and they brought in Demarcus Cousins, who's for a big man a pretty good shooter, but he hasn't really looked comfortable taking those open threes. I mean, when you win championships every year, you're not it's supposed tough. to be able to build through the draft the next year. That's I mean, kind of how the system's set up, unless it's the '86 Celtics and Len Bias, but. Um, How'd that, that work, work out? out. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but you guys did. I guess, you know, they the last – let's let's put it this way. No, you went there. 18 – sorry, 18, 17, 16, 15. Last five drafts, they have only drafted players in three of them. And of that, they've only drafted three players. And they've been either the 30th or 28th pick. Yeah, well, they so bought they have Jordan three draft Bell. picks in the last five years. Are you counting Jordan Bell? He was drafted by somebody else, but they True, paid it's, it's uh, tough with the him. NBA, but – I mean, the last time they've drafted higher than 28 was 2012. And they didn't even draft anybody in, in 2013 or 2014. They didn't draft anybody in 2017. That's what happens what with these at. teams. I mean, you don't see like the, the old heat, Celtics where right. you're drafting your future stars while your current stars are playing. It's kind of what happened with Miami, why yes. LeBron left, because they ran out of young players. And in some extent, that happened again in Cleveland. Back to the point I was making before, that one of the ironies about this Golden State team is that they have Stephen Curry, the greatest shooter of all time, Klay Thompson, almost at that level, the, the best shooting backcourt of all time. They had Kevin Durant, almost an equal three-point shooter. So they got three of maybe the ten best outside shooters in league history. But overall, as a team, they lack shooting. They're not able to put five shooters on the floor as easily as some other teams are. And when you take Kevin Durant out of that mix, and when they didn't have Clay Thompson for a game earlier in this series, they don't have enough shooting. Kevin, as great as a shooter as Stephen Curry is, he needs other shooters around him to open up the floor for him to get his shots off. But they're a team built through the draft. I mean, Steph Curry, seventh overall, Clay Thompson, eleventh overall, Draymond Green, thirty-fifth, Harrison Barnes, seventh. That was their first couple teams right there. Their title teams, and it just seems like they haven't thought about what the next chapter is going to be other than just trying to sign guys to max deals and squeeze every last drop out of the lemon that they can. I suppose, but it's tough to get good players. In, with the but that's the pick. NBA. Yeah, yeah, it's the NBA. NBA is a different animal. Like if I, if this was the NFL, I think I'd get on them for not thinking about the future. That's why there are only two rounds. True. And only half of the first one matters anyway. Yeah. But they haven't sometimes made any... you get a steal from some euro. Sometimes you luck out with second round picks. But if you look at the the drafts, if you go back and draft history, you're only seeing five, six guys taken after the top twenty picks that really last and are really impact players. There are guys, but not a lot of them. It's hard to hit on those picks. All right, when we come back, more sports because that's what we talk about. Or maybe we won't. Maybe we'll talk about. How Mike Stupid doesn't pronounce stuff. the word hot correctly? Yeah. yeah. Hot tub. What else happens in the hot world dogs. besides Cup sports? When we come back on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan.
Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The place is not open till Tuesday. Am I not saying it right? It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. The Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Got a few minutes here before we close out the show. Start preparing for next week. We're like NFL scouts. As soon as today's show is over, we immediately start preparing for the next show. It's a big artwork. Cleveland Cavaliers made an interesting hire today. John Beeline has hired to his staff Cal women's basketball head coach... Lindsey Gottlieb, no relation to Doug, in case anybody's wondering. We were wondering that ourselves. Lindsey Gottlieb leaving the head coaching job at Cal Berkeley to become an assistant in the NBA. Jonah, you think that this is not necessarily a step up for her? Well, no. Or we at least want to throw it out there for a quick discussion. I want to be measured in what I say because I do think this is something to – appreciate it it's good for the game of basketball men's and women's there should be more women on men's coaching staffs especially at the professional level this is a good thing for basketball women's basketball gender equality I just find it interesting that going from being a head coach in the Pac-12 at Cale a power five school a head coach to an assistant job in the NBA is being perceived as a step up because in the men's game I don't think the head coach at Kale would leave his job to go be an NBA assistant. I don't know if really any head coach at the college level would leave their job to be an NBA assistant, except for maybe some of the really low-level jobs that don't pay very well. And a lot of this has to do with the salary. You, you know, Going from being a women's head coach at Kale to an assistant in the NBA might be a lateral move or a step up in salary, where in the men's game, that wouldn't even be close. But I do think so. There, it shows that there's still steps to be taken in the in the gender equality with basketball and basketball coaching to where a head coaching job in the women's game should be considered a better job than an assistant job in the pro game. So does that hurt that endeavor? By no, I, I I don't think it hurts. I think it's more just kind of shines a light on where things good stand. where things stand. Yes, I think you could argue that Lindsey Gottlieb as an assistant with the Cleveland Cavaliers can do more good for women's basketball than Lindsey Gottlieb as head coach of Cal Berkeley because of the platform, because this is something that is unusual, that it see that it maybe it doesn't break the glass ceiling now, but this is one more women's basketball assistant who may become an NBA head coach someday, like Becky Hammond, and uh, as many people predict will happen in San Antonio when Greg Popovich retires. Um, so that way I see it, uh, but I understand your point that you're making, Jonah, is you're right. It, it underscores the lack of equality between men's and women's sports and the respect given that and Lindsay Gottlieb, right, that she would feel for more respect or for a better opportunity, I need to go coach the men's game and take a backseat role uh, rather than running my own program. Because just about every assistant coach in the world, except for certain older ones that have already been head coaches, will say, my dream is to be a head coach. And I don't think there's too many people that say, yeah, my dream is to be an assistant coach in the NBA. And more, you know, the, the, 
people would rather be an assistant in the in the pros than a head coach at a lower level. You want to be a head coach. You want to have your own program. Now, being a head coach in the NBA might be better than being a head coach in college, as John Beeline making that move kind of shows. But as I said earlier, I don't know if you pulled the 351 men's basketball head coaches and said, would you take this assistant job in the NBA, give up where you're at now, unless they felt insecure about their contract status in college, well, there is, I don't think they would do that. But there is something cool about the NBA also, too, yeah. right? Well, I mean, just Pat- the fact Patrick that I can Beeline. get to the top. Patrick Beeline would rather be coaching at Niagara than working for his dad and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Right, but I'm trying to think. I mean, Reggie Witherspoon, if somebody came to him tomorrow and said you could be an assistant coach with the Denver Nuggets, oh, I, well, let's he, take away the part that he's coaching in his hometown. Uh, let's, so what's but the next yeah, I don't, I don't think he would give up a head coaching job to be an assistant in the NBA. You think Brad Stevens would have given up the Butler job to be an assistant at Boston or yeah, no. Pacers? Well, no, unless but the he was money, also a tournament. He was coaching a tournament well, team at the be, time. Let's say before that, unless the money was so much more. But right. that, that's kind of, I think, the major distinction is that most of these head coaching jobs in college in the men's game pay better than the assistant coaching jobs in the NBA. Where without knowing what Lindsey Gottlieb was making at Kale there probably isn't much of a disparity, and maybe she can make more money as an NBA assistant coach than she was making as the head coach at Kale. Who knows what she may be able to do now in terms of in the endorsement world. You know, Becky Hammond was she was a Gatorade, wasn't she in a, a camp a Gatorade campaign? Or she was in she was in a lot of commercials. I remember seeing her quite a bit. Does that ring a bell? Am I making that up? No, I, I think she's been out there. I don't know how much money you make doing that, but. And this is probably a good thing for Lindsey Gottlieb and her overall coaching. Being in the NBA, working under John Beeline, might make her an even better coach going back to the women's college game. She probably could always go back and get a head coaching job in college later on down the line. So this is good professional development. Yeah, this doesn't sacrifice her future at all. In right. fact, she may becomes a more attractive hire because she brings a little more cachet if she yeah. wanted to go coach in the SEC or back in the Pac-12 or wherever. So I'm not saying it's at all a bad move for her. It's just interesting that this move was made and it's largely being perceived as a step up. Right. Well, good show today, guys. I had a lot of fun. It was a breezy one. We had uh, Brandon Bean on in the first segment. My thanks to him for coming on the show. We talked about all kinds of off-the-wall topics, philosophical things like how would you rank a porch beer compared to a bar beer or a golf course beer. We learned that he went to Starquade 86. That's a pretty significant yes. wrestling show in the history of that he, wrestling. He, he could name off all of the four horsemen, even though his initial thing was, ah, I'm not a pro wrestling fan, but there's, there's a little... You know what? I think we learned about Brandon Bean, which is the same for all of us because we have these discussions. There's a little boy inside of Brandon Bean. There's a, still a little boy in there. What do you know? See, now Mike Rodak, you can't. Uh, no, I just, it's a weird way to phrase it. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. He's in touch. He's a guy. It's, yeah. That's our point. He's a regular guy. But there guy. are a lot of people in sports that won't ever allow you to see that part of him. Yeah. That would be like, no, I never, I never asked for an autograph or I never rooted for whatever. I was just always about playing the game and fundamentals. And that's, I mean, and there's some people that are like that, but. All right. Yeah, the guy he's who, a fan. I mean, he's still in right. touch with his fanhood roots and all the things that made him fall in love with sports. We gave him the opportunity to ask us one question, and it was, hey, Mike, when do you leave? <laughs> <laughs> we all, yeah. We learned something about uh, Brandon being that way, too. Thanks to Zig Fracassi of Sirius XM Sports for coming on. That was great, and uh, we need to do that more often. That was a reminder of that. 
Uh, my thanks to Mike Rodak of ESPN.com, Jonah Bronstein of uh, Bronstein Firm, and uh, Bobby Rosati, our superstar producer. We'll come back at you next week.